Hey, Common Scientists, it's Lauren coming to you this week for Common Science along with Aiden and Dre. And this week we're going to be talking a bit about breath and breathing. And we're going to dive into a few different facets of the word, of the history, of the physiology, and more. Remember, this is common science. We are common scientists. That means we are not experts. Our goal is to bring the question to the table to discuss and to learn from one another. So I'm going to start it off by kicking it over to Aiden for a little bit about breath or what comes to mind on the topic. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for the, the kind introduction. And yeah, just as a, for our listeners uh, to reiterate as well, uh, we are common scientists just coming to the table. We each do our own research and we come to the table and ask questions and, and learn from each other. And so one question on my research, uh, I kind of dove into some of the historical uh focuses of of breath and breathing so yoga and how that's impacted my own life Um, and I've only recently become more aware and more conscious of my breath and breathing uh, and that has been through yoga I'm I'm curious uh, to each of you guys uh, when did you become mindful of breath and breathing yoga was definitely a big one for me as well maybe a year or so out of college when I started doing it um, like class yoga, whatever group yoga, that was definitely big. And I definitely realized that I'm not a very good breather. <laughs> um, whenever they were talking about like Ujjayi breath and prana and all this type of stuff, when I'm doing these motions, I was really kind of like tight. I could feel like it didn't feel like my breath was getting where it needed to go. Um, when they're always talking about oh, like move it into your stomach and massage your organs and this and that, I'm like, whoa, mine is not doing that. Mine is like bundled up in my chest, <laughs> barely getting past my mouth. Um, and then also, as I've talked about in a previous podcast, I also suffer for, from some performance anxiety, um, specifically in high school basketball, my senior year, mm-hmm. um, kind of putting like too much stakes on myself or whatever. And there were some instances where I could like feel like my, tight, my chest tightened up and I was just really out of breath and things were a lot harder than they should be yeah. on a basketball court. And so that was a time where I was like, hmm, what's going on with my breathing? So that was another one as well. How about you, Lauren? Well, I grew up in a family of musicians. I also grew up in a family of Christians and two very different aspects of breath and breathing then came to me at a much earlier age. So I think first I became conscious of my breathing in music and um, you'll talk, you'll hear a lot about it uh, if, if you've ever taken voice lessons or if you even go to a concert, you might notice um, that there is a fluidness of, of, of breath throughout music. And so early on, I learned how to have connectedness of breathing while words were coming out of my mouth. And then also how to breathe silently, also how to expand my diaphragm. I remember my teacher in high school would stand in front of us. He's this kind of grumpy old dude that I have just a ton of respect for, but he would show us a breath and his chest and belly would and back would just expand almost grotesquely. And he would then show us, you know, this is the power of your breath. This is how full you can bring yourself of air uh, and then that you can expand that air and allow that air to go from note to note to note as you uh, relay a musical melody. So probably first conscious then, then later talking about it in spirituality or from a lens of spirituality in the church. And then most recently in yoga, which I think 
actually for me ties a lot of that together because for me music and pictures and motion and breath and spirituality is kind of just a part of my day-to-day life so what about you Aiden yeah I so I think it's it's just cool to hear the the different experiences that you guys have had and it's a lot of experiences that I've not had so the Lauren your your musical experience and then Dre the performance anxiety on the basketball court uh yeah uh it's it's all fascinating that it's all tied together in in breath and and breathing uh one so like I mentioned earlier yoga has been a really big introduction to breath and breathing for me and it's fascinating to me as well diving a little deeper into the uh the past of of yoga uh and the more recent kind of enthusiasm for it especially in the western world because it was uh kind of imported from the a lot of asian uh countries and it was imported here and it only pretty recently like blew up and it's quite common for me to notice my own friends and other people our age so for our listeners as well we're in our we're in our 20s uh mid mid to late 20s uh and yeah just for me and most of my friends are are quite enthusiastic about it and we're in minnesota it's just funny to me how this practice from all the way across the world came here and it's centered on this breath and and an intentionality and moving with with your breath and yeah so that was just my experience getting into it and it's cool to see so many other people become more aware and uh yeah enthusiastic about breath and so enthusiastic that uh recently i haven't read it is the disclaimer but there's a book breath the new science of a lost art uh, by James Nestor that came out super recently. So there's a lot more uh, excitement too in the scientific community about breath and, and breathing. I noticed some research about yoga coming out uh, and the health effect, health benefits of it. Uh, so yeah, what what's your experience been in, in yoga, Dre? You mentioned that as a, a shared experience for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most of it has definitely been um, just like experience-based right not necessarily i've done all this research on yoga and all that sure but just like a a yogi or somebody telling me hey these are the benefits this is how you can feel maybe should feel during and afterwards and then me actually getting those results and feeling amazing i've definitely suffered from a lot of hip issues which have um lent me to be out of basketball for a couple years now um until just recently actually and that and as well as some knee issues and that led me into yoga something that i heard about you know um really having some rejuvenate rejuvenation rejuvenative (laughs) (laughs) rejuvenating (laughs) um benefits and it was something that i knew was safe stable not necessarily explosive um and that it was also like a workout while you're stretching which is what i felt like i really needed it was really tight Mm -hmm. Um, so with the breath, I definitely felt some kind of what I would consider maybe like meditative properties when it comes to yoga. And it definitely, every time, if you've ever done hot yoga, like with a group or whatever, you probably know what I'm talking about. But there's... No, no, you got to explain. Because the first time I heard that, I was like, no, hot yoga, everyone goes in what they do, naked yoga, and it's really hot. <laughs> no, you have to explain because... 
I did not know when I first heard, and I was scared. Yeah, I was hoping it was the naked yoga, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was just 105 degrees in the room. Okay. And there's, I went to Lifetime for yoga for like a year or so, and then it would be like, I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 30, 40, 50 people in the classroom. The more bodies, the more heat, the more breath, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, depending on the yoga, but um, I can't remember what the one, vinyasa flow maybe is the one I would do. 105 degrees, pretty gentle music for the most part. Sometimes different instructors would ramp up the music in certain parts where you're really supposed to be flowing, going at a faster pace. But in general, just like you think or have probably heard, gentle, relaxing, um, but really the movements that they have you holding are pretty strenuous. And if you've never done those movements, um, it doesn't matter even if you're a world-class athlete, some of those are crazy hard, especially if you're really a tight athlete like I was. Um, and the breath, as you're breathing in, like, so they, I can't remember exactly if it's ujjayi, whatever the word is, but the yoga I went to, they would have you, um, like, tighten your mouth so you're only breathing through your nose, no mouth breathing. And then there's, like, a pressure that you put in your throat, which is, makes this breath possible, make, it makes this breath what it is, this type of breathing. And that is supposed to create a lot of heat within you and a lot of energy within you. And going back to and connecting this to the James Nestor book, Breath, he also talks about aerobic versus anaerobic work, workouts. And that goes along with your breathing through your nose as well. So really similar to yoga and that type of breathing. And what makes sense when I'm connecting just now is that the feeling that I was getting after yoga where it's like you're not even though you are tired because you worked out really hard, you also come out like crazy energetic, crazy rejuvenated, even though you just had like this really tough 45 hour workout. Minute. And go 45 ahead. minute workout? You said 45 hour. Oh, sorry, 45 minute. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, workout, but then you come workout. up with all this energy and you feel amazing. And I've experienced that before with basketball, with weightlifting at sometimes, but usually when I lift weights, I come out feeling like kind of nauseous, if I go really hard, nauseous a little bit, really weak, really exhausted, all this type of stuff. And I thought that was like, oh, you had a good workout. But it's like, no, you had an anaerobic workout. Like your breathing <laughs> wasn't very good because these yoga workouts are, can be just as strenuous, but you come out feeling like a new person, like with all this life. Yeah, and just to clarify for our listeners who are not familiar with the terms, uh, anaerobic means without oxygen or low oxygen, uh, and aerobic means like more oxygen involved so when when Dre was talking about yoga aerobic much more breathing you're breathing in a lot more oxygen and you're getting a lot more oxygen to your to your body um so yeah and on that same to... note what if i'm interpreting what james says so i read bits of his book i read a few chapters thoroughly and i skimmed around a little bit read some of the back of the book which is very enlightening as well as watching some videos that he put out on it listen to him speak so if i'm interpreting what he said correctly and assuming that he is also correct about anaerobic versus aerobic breathing and the workouts so aiden you said that more breathing but that isn't necessarily correct it seems mm. like so what james nestor talks about and i've heard this now in in, in other research is that Bigger breaths don't always need more oxygen. It actually, when you're talking about taking in more O2 with every breath, you actually need a lot of CO2 in your system. So gentle, slow breaths, and also not constantly breathing, right? Not like not constantly, obviously that's hyperventilating. Like you're, even though you're taking in more air, you're actually not getting more oxygen. So with yoga and with aerobic exercises, it doesn't necessarily mean you're breathing more frequently. Actually, you probably should be breathing less frequently, 
but there are like these long breaths, long gentle breaths. You're holding it for a little while and it can be very natural. Obviously you would have to practice it if you don't breathe like that already. And even when you breathe out, there's a feeling which I've experienced now with practicing some of James Nestor's methods. There's a feeling before like the pain of an Iver breath that's like actually relaxing and like you're okay. But I feel like a lot of us, we don't, we either aren't aware of that or we don't actually practice that hold of having no air inside and let that CO2 really build up. So then when that CO2 builds up, you take your next breath in and that's where you can really absorb a lot of oxygen, even with less quote unquote breath or less oxygen. And that's where you can really master aerobic exercise. Cool. Sure. So let's do a little experiment. If you're not driving right now and you're in a safe space that you can potentially get a little lightheaded, we'll see. Uh, hopefully maybe you're sitting down. If you're standing, that's fine too. Um, and I'll have Dre and Aiden do this with me right now too, but we're going to just take a couple deep breaths and we're going to hold our breath both when we have as much air as we can fill into our lungs and belly. And we're also going to hold our breath when we've expelled as much air out. So we'll try this. Obviously, I'm not yoga with Adrian, Adrian, or anyone else who knows what I'm doing, but we'll see what we can do here. Okay, so everyone with me, we're going to breathe in for three counts. We're going to hold for two, and then we're going to exhale. So, breathe in or out through our nose or through our mouth? As opposed to your up, ears up or to, what? Up to choice, or, or up to the person's choice. Well, <laughs> okay. well, should we breathe through our nose or through our mouth? James, that's just says nose. Okay, let's, let's go for the nose. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to breathe in through our nose. Two, three, hold. One, two, exhale through your nose. One, two, three, push it all out. Hold, one, two, and now you can return to normal breathing. So that was just one breath. And obviously this can take a lot of mastery and practice to get to a point where you're just feeling super energized. But what Dre was talking about, those two periods where I asked you to hold your breath, one where you had your lungs full, full, full of air, and then one where we've exhaled and you have no air or very little air in your lungs, not no air, you'd have a collapsed lung. Um, but I think, yeah, mastering, mastering that, uh, can be so powerful. And as Aiden had mentioned, historically, I think it was 1500 BCE is what I was seeing in India is the first recorded practice of meditation and meditation with mindful breathing. So it's been around a long time. It's kind of been invigorated in the last couple of years, certainly with COVID, we, learned now more than ever we're reminded how important our breath is how important our lungs are and all of these different pieces the connection to the science and also to this more kind of spiritual side has been really fascinating to me um, in my research do any of you guys want to take a stab at the physiology of breathing i'll leave that one to to you or, or to... <laughs> all right all right so i'm going to give you just a brief idea of what what's happening in your body when we're breathing right so um, actually half of breathing does not require muscle contraction so when we breathe in that's when we're actually contracting our diaphragm to make room in our lungs for your lungs to expand so your diaphragm is this big kind of uh, thin muscle that's that's kind of at the bottom of your rib cage it's a brief 
or like a gen really general understanding. Oh, you, sorry to interrupt, but that just reminded me. Do you guys ever do in your middle school science class like chop a two liter bottle of soda in half and then put a balloon on the bottom of it? You, you explain that when I'm done explaining the okay. physiology, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so your diaphragm, this big muscle kind of at the bottom of your rib cage, when you breathe in, it contracts, creating space in your lungs. So breathing in is what actually causes it, or what actually needs and requires muscle contractions you breathe in. And then when you breathe out, that's actually your diaphragm relaxing. And um, as Dre was talking about, improving your breath or improving your lung capacity through a forced breath out right so you can breathe out naturally or you can kind of like push it out which you learn about in yoga and some of these other techniques uh can actually improve your lung capacity right because you're you're teaching your diaphragm how it could relax more fully and maybe contract better as well increasing like a lung your lung size so it's a it's really a fascinating um piece of our physiology that that we can do unconsciously so and i'll toss it to you for that that middle school experiment that you may or may not have seen that also kind of shows this change in pressure and uh, this change in air i can also comment on the the collapsed lung so when you breathe out you still do have a residual amount of air in your lungs it's called your re residual lung capacity and um, that, is, that is remaining unless, of course, you had a collapsed lung, which uh, would not be good. <laughs> so I'll toss it to you, eh? Yeah, totally. I'll do my best to, to describe this. Uh, it's, note, it's been a while. It's been since probably fifth grade or sixth grade science class that I've, I've been involved in this sort of experiment. But I'll link a, a description on how to do it with either your, your little scientists at home, or uh, yeah, if you're just looking for a fun Saturday afternoon activity. Uh, but you can demonstrate how a diaphragm works uh, with a few at-home utensils. So if you just have scissors, a pop bottle or a Gatorade bottle, some tape and some balloons, you can uh, make a model lung. Uh, and so if you put a balloon inside like a deflated one inside of the uh inside of the pop bottle uh and chop the pop bottle bottom and off and then put another balloon on the end of it again it's it's pretty hard to envision but and and the with the balloon on the bottom representing the diaphragm when you pull it down or demonstrate the contraction of it the balloon inside of the bo bottle should expand because of the the pressure differences there uh but yeah again I'll, I'll link in the show notes a description on how to make your own own lung model at home uh but yeah it's just kind of fun uh connection there I, it just popped into my mind when you started talking about diaphragm i was like oh that's why that's how i know how that works yeah but in across all <laughs> ages too right a middle schooler or even a college student might be doing that experiment right i just studied for a medical college admissions test and had to learn i mean all the way down to like an alveolar level which is kind of more microscopic anatomy of your lungs how co2 and o2 gas exchange happens and then there are the spiritual people talking about breathing. And then we know it was talked about in 1500 BC and still today. So it was a, just a crazy vast topic that clearly is of importance in a lot of different facets.
Yeah, and Lauren made mention it. She kind of kind of teased me a, a tad about my research and how it can be a little more stats heavy, given that I am a numbers nerd. Uh, but it, each person takes on average about twenty six thousand breaths per day, and so you imagine if it's something you're doing that frequently, it'd be it'd be like play quite a huge role in in terms of your mood and your overall health. Uh, have you guys ever heard of Wim Hof? Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, you enlighten me. Clearly, I'm missing out. Okay, <laughs> Clear, clearly. So, uh, so here's just a, a statement that demonstrates kind of the wildness that is this man. Uh, in 2007, uh, Wim Hof climbed to an altitude of 7,200 meters, or 23,600 feet, for those of you stateside, on Mount Everest, wearing nothing but shorts and shoes. Uh, he only aborted the attempt due to a recurring foot foot injury, but the cold was having um, like he was fine as far as the cold goes, and he experienced no damage as far as the the cold goes. Um, yeah, and it, and it's all based on this this breathing technique that he he called is called the Wim Hof method, uh, where he focuses on bringing in large amounts of of o2 into the system with kind of the technique that dre and, and lauren were describing where you breathe more slowly it's a lot of overlap to to yoga but he does that and he exposes himself to extremely cold temperatures uh and he's kind of a, a scientific phenomenon uh in terms of his ability to withstand cold and and be just some submerged in ice and and push the limits of human capabilities. Now that you say that, like that, if you're like, oh, have you heard about that crazy dude who hiked up Mount Everest like shorts in a tee and he challenged temperature and body basal, right? I could have been like, oh, I've heard of that guy. I'm not a names person, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. cool, yeah. Yeah, the Wim Hof method. I'll also link uh, a, <clears throat> one of his breathing tutorials in the show notes, but it, it is, I mean, one thing that just strikes me so much about breath and, and breathing and and from our conversation so far is just the power of it and the interconnectedness of it uh with all these other facets of human life like religion spirit spirituality and mm-hmm. um etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah vimloff is a super fascinating guy and to both of you guys's points a lot of times if you look him up they call him like the ice man yeah because of his extreme his ability to um weather extreme temperatures essentially all with the philosophy of mind over matter surrounded around breath um i know there's more to it than that for sure one of his breathing methods that i think most people think of when they think of Wim Hof um is james nestor talks about in his book as well and i'm pretty sure they're friends they both are like masters of breath so of course probably um so he calls it the tumo or the tummo and he says this is the method um in short Make sure your surroundings are quiet. Lay flat on your back with a pillow under your head, even though I know Wim Hof says for beginners you can sit up straight as well. Um, but you do want to have your spine straight. Like you don't want anything to be like crunched up. You want to have your full lungs. And then you're going to take 30 very deep, very fast breaths, right? <laughs> very deep, very fast. Wim Hof, I know, says you can do it through the mouth. James Nestor says no do it through your nose he's all about nasal breathing never breathe through your mouth if it's up to james nestor and i've heard james nestor talk on vim hoff 
and he was asked, why does Wim Hof say you can do it through your mouth? Through your mouth? And James Nestor said that it's because Wim Hof just wants you to do the breathing. He knows that people are mouth breathers. breathers. It's like, I don't know, it's a huge percentage of the population. I think maybe 50% or something, but are mouth breathers. So he's like, he just wants you to do technique versus James Nestor wrote a book about breathing through your nose. So he's like, breathe through your nose, 30 very deep, very fast breaths. Fill your stomach first and then empty your stomach completely, but as fast as you can. At the end of your 30th breath, fully empty out your lungs or as fully as you can, and then hold for as long as possible. Wim Hof starts, and then you're gonna do that three times. Wim Hof does it where, for beginners, you do it for 30 seconds, hold, then the next time around, you have to hold your breath with no oxygen in there for a minute and then a minute and a half, which I practiced yesterday. It was a little bit hard, yeah. but it did feel amazing. Um, so, and then you're gonna do that. And then after you hold your breath with, hold your exhale as long as you can, you're gonna do a 15 second inhale, or sorry, inhale and then hold for 15 seconds. Do that three times. And after you do that, you're supposed to have like this huge rush of energy, of like mental acuity and like keenness. And essentially it should be like a shot of espresso, I guess, instantly. And I definitely experienced, I practiced a lot of James Nestor's breathing methods as well as Wim Hof's yesterday. And I definitely experienced that. I don't know if it was as euphoric as he said, but I probably also wasn't doing it to the best of my capabilities. Like I need more, or I was maybe doing it to the best of mine, but not perfectly like Wim Hof would do it. But that one is really, really cool. If you look up Wim Hof, you will definitely see the two more breath. And I think that's really awesome because I want to, even though oxygen, air, whatever is like an outside entity, or maybe not entity, but outside thing, I would like to keep things, like keep as little amount of like drugs in molecules or like things out of my body. So even like espresso, or is it espresso? Espresso, I always pronounce that wrong. I don't drink a lot of coffee. I would like to not drink that if I don't need to. So yesterday I actually, I was up until like 3 a.m. two nights ago, and I woke up around 5.30 or 6 a.m., so not a lot of sleep. So I was kind of expecting to be dragging, but through my research, I was also practicing a lot of these breathing techniques that are supposed to give you energy. And I had amazing energy the whole day. So whether that's a coincidence or a product of Wim Hof and James Nestor, who's to say, small sample size, but I think it's definitely worth a shot. Yeah. Of breath, know. not espresso. Yeah. <laughs> nice bun. I think there's just a lot of power in it. And for me, untapped power, I have just scratched the surface of breathing, even in my experience practicing it musically and now working on it in yoga, also talking a lot about it spiritually. And I think, I don't know that you're ever a master. I mean, maybe Van Hoff, sure. Maybe the Iceman, sure, right? Like, but for the average bear, right? I think continuing to work toward mastery and continuing to practice uh, fully breathing out, fully breathing in, maybe looking up and trying some of these methods could be really powerful in your life, common scientists. I would encourage you to to check it out, look it up, find one that looks like it's doable for you and, and see if it maybe adds value to your life. Maybe it won't allow you to, th to just sleep like three hours a night every night, but maybe <laughs> when you're dragging in yeah. the afternoon at work and you need a little more energy or a little more life or you're struggling on your next page of paper that you need to write, it'll, it'll give you and bring you that energy you're needing. Yeah, I think uh, just something to... Just something through through my research and, and personal experience, uh, I'm thinking mostly of, of yoga again. And man, I had a solid stretch where I was doing it every day, and then I stopped doing it. 
and I felt horrible. I was like, oh, why am I feeling horrible? Well, I stopped, I stopped doing the intentional breathing that was lifting my, my mood. So that's just obviously an anecdote, but, um, yeah, just again, as common scientists, uh, you can collect your own data journal, uh, see what works for you and, and find what feels good to use in a uh, yoga with Adrian, uh, quote, one other experience I have had with breathing that I thought was just, I mean, again, bonkers. We talk about Wim Hof and him climbing Everest in, in just shorts. Another extreme breathing or lack of breathing, uh, I don't know what to call it, an activity that humans would, that humans push themselves to do is free diving. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar, free diving uh, is where you just dive with nothing on your back. Scuba diving would be you have the classic kind of tank and you have of oxygen and you can breathe while you're underwater. But free diving is where you hold your breath and you see how far down you can go. And uh, I think the record uh, is about 120 meters. So I'm not sure exactly what the conversion would be. That would be just really, really deep. Uh, definitely rough but it would be about 120 yards um super super for those in, in the u.s who are not most familiar football with, players <laughs> yeah. not familiar with meters um but yeah it, it's it's nuts that somebody could do that and hold their breath for so long and I, my personal experience with it is i was on a on a boat uh after a scuba dive uh in honduras and there was this uh this guy who was a, a professional freediver and he gave me a few tips. I was just like, man, this, that's bonkers. You just subject yourself to pushing the limits of, of your own, uh, your own oxygen levels. And, and he's like, and I'm trying to remember his exact description of how he, he basically just like pushes himself to the limits of, of drowning each, each and every day, which is just bizarre to me. But his, his description, was taking in uh, like breathing normally uh, until you come to a point where you exhale everything, uh, do one big exhale until you have as little air in your lungs as possible, and then do one deep inhale, and then just hold your breath and think about other things and distract your, your mind from what you're uh, subjecting yourself to. And, and then you'll get to a point where you start to feel some tense like gulps because your body needs and wants oxygen. And he said, you have one minute after that point before you pass out. So as soon as you start getting these gulps, you can fight them and start the countdown from 60 to 59 seconds to 40, like all the way down. Uh, and, and the goal is to like land on the surface of the water as a free diver right when you hit that point, uh, when you're right when you're at the point of potentially passing out. So it's just wild to me that that's an activity that uh, people get up to. Uh, if you are interested in practicing that technique, I recommend being in a comfy chair or, or laying on your back uh, in case you, you do pass out. Or working um, with an instructor. Yeah, or working with an instructor. Cause I, yeah, I, I ended up doing that laying down and it was, bonkers my uh i can't remember the exact times but i went from just having him walk me through it i doubled the amount of time that i could hold my breath he just said oh yeah just hold your breath 
however you normally do. And I did it. And then after him walking me through it, doubled it in just the span of just one conversation with this man. So it, it was, it was just, that was striking to me and all of our conversations so far is just striking to me how much of a skill it is, uh, to, to breathe or not breathe, uh, in the case of free diving. Uh, but yeah, uh, anyways, that was just, uh, like, a, an exciting tidbit I wanted to share. Lauren, you said you had, uh, dived a little bit more into the spirituality, uh, and the religious connections to breath and breathing. I was curious if you wanted to touch on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Um, So I was raised in a Christian home. My dad actually was a pastor for my whole childhood. So I think prior to graduation from high school or prior to my senior year of, of high school, I had attended church almost if not every Sunday of my whole life Uh, and also that generally included like a Wednesday um, youth type meeting where youth gathered to learn about Christianity Uh, and so it was a big part of my life growing up and specifically when it comes to breath uh, as a Christian we believe in a God of all things And in some of the earliest recordings of the name of God or of God is the name Yahweh, which first came out of a a Jewish revelation of the name God. And in Hebrew, it was actually spelled Y-H-V-H. And uh, many scholars say that when this name of God was, um, was relayed, no one could even speak it. No one could could put those those uh, letters together into something that sounded like like a name. And today, if you hear it, we have now inserted an A, and I think an E, and we say Yahweh. Uh, but then it was more like Yahweh, and even that is they would they say scholars say butchering it and the whole point or the whole idea was that the name of god was breath that these syllables or these consonants these sounds only came through inhalation and exhalation of air and so there was this idea there is this idea that every time we breathe we are speaking the name of god the name of our creator and i i think that that I mean, that idea is immensely powerful, whether you believe in the God I believe in or your own God. Um, The idea that every time I breathe in and I breathe out, like the essence of what keeps me living and what fills my body with with O2 and expels CO2, um, that I am speaking and breathing the name of the creator of the universe. And man, I I feel like I walk a little taller, I stand a little taller, I feel a little bit... uh, more empowered when I think about breathing in that way, when I think about honoring my breath in that way. And I know many other Christians also identify with that feeling. Many scholars also talk about those, those letters, that word, yahevahe, um, being very challenging to, to say, and in that, that no one could speak the name of God because it was and is so revered, depending on who you're talking to. So 
that was a place that my, my research went. It's something that was a part of my life um, growing up and still is, though my views on Christianity have changed some in my adult life. I think it just is powerful as a reminder to honor the breath, whether you believe in a creator or not. Yeah, that's amazing. Usually, I've always really felt a similar kind of the feeling that you're expressing. I've always felt that similarly when it comes to God slash the Bible with words, like talking about God speaking the word or speaking the world into existence, the universe into existence, but not as much with breath. So that's really, really cool, really insightful. Um, it also brings to mind, too, like words like spirit and inspiration, which come from the word breath um, or ancient words right obviously breath inspiration not similar but back then it meant breath right and when you talk about inspiration spiritually or like in, with the bible or historically it means to be like taken over right to have god within you mm -hmm. so when they talk about the bible being inspired it's not like oh i had a stroke of in inspiration and i wrote the bible it's like no god was within you god with mm -hmm. the holy spirit or the holy breath was taking over and that was what actually wrote or inspired you to write the bible or whatever you were writing so that's really really cool and yeah i love that thanks for, thanks for yeah that. i think a lot of scholars even still debate you know the meaning of the word yahweh which now like i said we've inserted an a and an e so that i can say yahweh and not like you know like i don't know uh, <laughs> but um and they and there's just an argument even so if it's the name of god but still it's letters what does it mean like where is the beginning of the name or, or the phonetics and i don't know if you guys know what your names mean but it's something that people often will say like oh i'm lauren it means that i'm graceful and i don't know what else mm -hmm. but Yahweh has been interpreted as he who makes that which has been made mm. or he brings into existence whatever exists which I think also just is wild to, to believe I mean and to think about breath and breathing and just yeah that, that it is so tied to existence man yeah uh, I think I mean just what is so so neat for lack of a better word <laughs> uh, to me is just seeing these connections and uh I, I i agree with dre thank you for sharing lauren uh it's always always uh impactful uh to me to be uh, exposed to perspectives that are are not necessarily 100 percent aligned with my own and and just to be observed to be observant of the research that you might be drawn to or or Dre might be drawn to as well. Um, but yeah, I think that that is, is super, super fascinating. And just uh, thinking back to, to the yoga example and just how there's these practices that humans have adopted for millennia. And then all of a sudden we're coming to it with the science and we're, we're asking why a whole bunch of times. And we realize, oh yeah, these, these practices that we've adopted seemingly arbitrarily before uh the advent of of science uh and the scientific revolution is just uh yeah eye-opening to me and and yeah makes makes me kind of just wonder a little bit more about uh different just practices that people have adapted over time mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that is really awesome. To well, those things always fascinate me. Like when science catches up to ancient things, yeah. specifically in the West, because we've kind of drifted so far away from India and these ancient places and these ancient techniques. There's a Chinese, some sort of Chinese saying or proverb or something like that, ancient. That's like I'm paraphrasing, but essentially it's like he who breeds well lives. He who does not dies. Something like that. It's like these cultures historically, anciently have always known the power of breath and yoga comes in as a fad a decade or so ago into America and now we're all like stumbling over ourselves yeah. it's like other countries are just like or other people groups are just like yeah man like of course like what do you mean like how, how could this not like this is like second nature you know or first nature, I don't know but yeah it's really really awesome speaking speaking on or sticking with the kind of spiritual or philosophical ideas so the stoics um, have an idea of pneuma as well. Pneuma meaning breath, P-N-E-U-M-A, like pneumonia. Mm -hmm. You've probably seen that word around with brands or medicine or ailments, etc. So pneuma for the Stoics is like a sort of mixture of like air and fire, and that speaks to the creative properties that you were talking about when it, in Christianity and stuff like that. And it organizes, so it's the breath of life. It organizes the individual as well as the cosmos. So it's this pervading force, um, kind of like a god, I would imagine. And the highest configuration of Numa is actually the soul. And the soul in this philosophy is a fragment of God, of the God spirit, of the God breath. And it's an external thing that you take in. So you're actually inspired, you're taking in that breath. So I thought that was really cool as well. And I had not, not that I'm some stoic, <laughs> you know, I don't know, scholar or anything, but I just had never, I didn't know that the stoics had that philosophy, that part yeah. about Numa. I always kind of think of them as being like more practical for lack of a better word. So yeah. I was like, oh, like, oh, that's kind of like a more out there, spiritual, abstract, but also very intuitive, innate, ancient idea as well. Mm -hmm. so I thought that was really cool as well. I was like, huh, I see you stoicism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And outside of Christianity, I mean, there is, there is an importance of breathing in many other major and minor religions. Um, and I can't speak to them all. Obviously, I'm not an expert and come to the table with my own experience, but outside of Christianity, it's very important in spirituality as a whole, I know too, and have uh, practiced chakra breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing that you'll hear in the, I don't know, yogi hippie space, if you will. <laughs> and it, I think, is also a beautiful way to look at the breath and as air goes in your mouth and down your esophagus into your lungs through your bronchioles right that your breath is going past these chakras these centers of connection and spirituality to energy and emotions as the uh i don't know if you'd call it a theory or a um i don't know religion uh but that that breath can also bring energy to other areas and other spaces of your life, other pieces of your body. And I think that's also a really fascinating um, way to think about it. Man, there's just, there's so much practice to be had in breathing. And I think there's so much you can learn from all of these different facets to figure out what works best for you as a common scientist, what works best for you as a human, what serves your spirituality best, and um, yeah, what feels good. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. And you were searching for a word. You said, I don't know if I'd call it religion or this, school of thought, etc. Thanks to people like James Nestor and Vinhoff, people are calling it science now as well. So that's also really cool. And speaking to continuing with this energy, this, and you might be, when you, when the Stoics call breath pneuma, when they call it fire and air, you might be like, how is air fire? You know what I mean? It's not, you know, how, like, where's this idea coming from? Air can be cool, this and that. But I think a lot of it speaks to that fire that it creates in you, that warmth and that energy. Because going back to James Nestor and his book, Breath, he outlines he was suffering. So he had actually, coincidentally, was suffering or recovering from pneumonia. And he was really stressed out. There was a lot of things going on in his life. And he was suffering kind of all these little ailments or signs of his ailment. And someone recommended to him that he goes to a breath instructor and practice this particular breathing technique. He's like, all right, like whatever, like, <laughs> I guess, like, you know. <laughs> and he sits there in a group, quietly breathing for 20, 30 minutes or whatever, 10, 20 minutes. And he's like, nothing's happening. He's about to dip out. He's like, this is stupid, whatever. But then I think he like, didn't want to be rude or something. So he sits there for another 40 minutes, up to an hour. And then when he opens his eyes and kind of comes back to his space, after an hour of just breathing, he's drenched in sweat like he just came out of a pool. And this was obviously a huge sign that breath is something different than what we in the Western world today think it is. Like, how could I just be sitting there and it looks like I just got out of a pool, something inside of me. And that's where I think a lot of that fire, the idea of fire comes, mm -hmm. is that warmth. And he was going around as he started researching breath and he's asking all these traditional contemporary um, thinkers, scientists, doctors, et cetera, like, what do you know about breath? Like, does it matter? Like this and that, like, does it matter if I breathe my nose or my mouth, whatever. And um, according to him, they're all like, no, like it doesn't really matter. Like breathing is breathing. But as we've talked about throughout this podcast, historically, that's not what people think, right? No. That's not what the Eastern cultures think. And then he started falling into these new wave of thinkers like himself now, right. Hoff and et cetera, some other people that he lists that think a lot differently about breath and understand the power that it has and understand the power of specifically breathing through your nose. And I do want to touch on, since this is kind of a huge premise in his book, the reason why he wrote it. So when a lot of people, like, doesn't matter breathing through your nose or through your mouth. So according to James Nestor and a lot of science, mouth breathing is one of the worst things you could possibly do for your health. One of the absolute worst things. Whoa. And nasal breathing is one of the best things. He says in his book that there's science and obviously testimony that breathing can help. Like, there's accounts of people being infected with E. coli, using breath to boost their immune system and killing that E. coli. There's data showing that breath can be used to fight cancer. There's da data showing that it fights off old age. There's data and anecdotes and stories of people like sitting in a pile of snow doing the same breath work or similar breath work to what James Nestor doing and melting the snow around them, creating that heat, that fire. And then of course the, the deep free divers that you were talking about as well, Aiden. Mm -hmm. Which another crazy part about the uh, free diving is if you've ever gone to the bottom of a 10 foot pool, your head starts to hurt. A yeah. lot of times, <laughs> especially if you get yeah. to 15, 20 feet. So these people are going 300 feet, 400 feet almost, like mm -hmm. you're going 120 yeah. meters. And it's like, well, how are they going that deep? Even when, So something with the breath as well is like controlling the pressure in your head as yeah. well. So that's another crazy thing. So James um, Nestor says 90% of us are breathing incorrectly. Half of us are mouth breathers. Mouth breathing can like change the structure of your face or not 
can, it will. Mm -hmm. So if you are a habitual mouth breather, he says that this is where teeth problems come in. He says, if you look at human ancient skulls, and this, I guess it's not just him, like there is science, like other scientists say this too. If you look at ancient human skulls or other homo erectus, et cetera, none of them have bad teeth. Bad teeth is a new phenomenon. And he says that it's because of that we're breathing through our mouth, which is changing the structure of our face, as well as some other things like cooking food so our jaws don't need to be as big and tough, but it's collapsing the space as well as our brains getting bigger, took up more space for, for like our sinuses and like airways and stuff like that. So all these things are connected. Even though we became healthier and smarter, we become wor- we've become worse breathers. And he also looks at other mammals. He's like, also look at other mammals in the wild. None of them have bad teeth. All of their teeth work because they all know how to breathe. They haven't had these evolutionary things that have made us not good breathers. And they also haven't had these weird practices, like for some reason in America, we're horrible mouth breathers. And he's saying this leads to sleep apnea, snoring, and a whole slew of other horrible conditions that are far worse than that. And as I laid out, nasal breathing, breathing the correct way, can solve those problems as well as coli, like cancer, stuff like that. So fascinating stuff. I'm definitely approaching correlation or causation. We don't know. I, I, <laughs> maybe he knows. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, yeah. We, I mean, certainly though, the power, the power of it cannot be ignored in in the science sphere, in the spiritual sphere. Maybe those are one and the same. Um, I had also thought of a good mentor of mine. He works as a uh, like senior pulmonologist at Mayo Clinic, and he talks a lot about the power of breathing. So if he's a pulmonologist, what does he work on? Lungs and breathing and breath. And so he'll also talk a lot about, I mean, this connectedness between spirituality, personal practice, and medicine. And uh, I think it's becoming more and more common, especially in his space and what I've heard of his field since COVID, since a lot of this research, since this renewed interest that people are having in creating and finding a better lifestyle, that uh, outside of studying just the hard science and this contraction of the diaphragm or this CO2-O2 conversion that's happening in the itty bitty spaces of our lungs with this giant surface area. I mean, outside of the science science that there is also a science of lifestyle that can create uh, better outcomes for you. And so, I mean, like you said, Dre, some people are calling it not just a school of thought, not just spirituality, but science. And that brings us back to common science. Yeah, I think, yeah, in the common science vein of just asking questions and experimenting and finding what feels good for yourself whether it be yoga meditation (laughs) free diving if you're extra ambitious or the Wim Hof method or whatever else uh, like there's all these different techniques out there but they're all evidence that there is reason to pay attention to your breath and your breathing Uh, one thing that uh, I was just kind of pondering and and based on a lot of the things that you guys said about like breath being related to inspiration and, and spirit and all these other uh, terms and something that I've noticed since paying more attention that I, th- I would then dare common scientists to, to ask the question and start becoming more cognizant of your breath. But uh, I feel way more present uh, because I, and I'm not sure if it's some some something with like 
just the human mind is a complex place and it tends to spiral off into the past or into the future uh especially if you're you're prone to to some more like anxiety provoking thoughts uh but one one power i've noticed with focusing on the breath and i i started more so saying like okay in out and like saying that to myself as i was doing it and then i've I've kind of cut out the the verbiage of the in out in my mind um, as I'm as I'm doing my breathing in and out, uh, but concentrating myself on that uh, did wonders for myself in terms of like cutting out the those the thoughts uh, that distract me from the here and now and and beyond that then too through yoga I become more conscious of where I like place my water on the table i become more conscious of my my body and my surroundings and i think my hypothesis and i'm not sure what james nestor or whoever else might have to have to say about it uh is that like the connection to inspiration is just this being present with the fullness fullness of your being um because for me i mean i've been able to create more uh meaningful work i've been able to like be a more present like friend and partner etc etc um yeah i just like i feel more alive in general when i'm more cognizant of my breath uh so that that's just my hypothesis and and myself on a on just going off on a little bit of a, a monologue but i, but I think there's it si- is, i mean there's signs yeah. behind that too in that when we slow down our breathing we can um, innervate our parasympathetic nervous system, which will help us relax our body and lower our heart rate and relax our eyes and how about you break down digestion. How about you break down the innervate the parasympathetic nervous system a little bit? I was just doing that. Okay, just, just <laughs> throw that out there. Yeah, so whether we increase or decrease our respiration rate, we can innervate or we can excite our sympathetic or our parasympathetic nervous system. One is more associated with fight or flight. That's our sympathetic nervous system. It prepares your body for stress. It prepares your body to um, handle an attack. Uh, Historically, we think of the sympathetic nervous system in the caveman days of like getting yourself ready for whatever might be coming. And then our parasympathetic nervous system is more associated with resting and digesting our food and maybe more uh, conscientious thinking, uh, relaxation. So when we breathe more slowly, our parasympathetic nervous system is more easily on, right? It's more, it's allowing your body to digest, allowing your body to rest, allowing your body some peace, I think. Um, and different techniques that we've talked about, whether it's quick breathing, which I think is called ujjayi breath, one of the things we brought up, that's the <laughs> or the slower breathing that can, you know, when you're breathing in and holding your breath and then breathing out, that could uh, innervate your parasympathetic nervous system. So there's a, there is a lot of science behind these feelings that we're talking about, being more present, being more productive, being a better partner, uh, being a better spouse, whatever whatever it is, that breath and science and spirituality, it, it's very intertwined. I don't know that it's one or the other. You know, I think the answer is probably somewhere in between. Yeah, 
I 100% agree. And I definitely, just exactly what you're saying, I want to echo that. I want to completely dispel any ideas like they, this is woo woo or like not tried and true. It's like, no, like this is science now. Like it's not just, oh, a bunch of people saying this. It's not just a philosophy. It's like, no, these are facts, right? There's people who have done a who dedicated their lives to researching, studying, and doing true experiments, not just observation. You mentioned, like, is it causation or correlation? There's people who have done true experiments to prove that it is actually causation. They've done it with blocking the nasal pathways with rhesus monkeys, which as a vegan, I do not recommend. Please stop doing that. They've done it with <laughs> mice. And with these mice, they become really stressed out when they get their nasal, when they have to mouth breathe. Um, they become dumber, which was evidenced by Salt, taking longer time to solve mazes and doing like using critical thinking, etc. And James Nestor and a friend of him who's also like a breathing master did that experiment on themselves where they blocked their nasal pathways for 10 days and had to mouth breathe incessantly. They ended up developing sleep apnea, um, snoring for hours and hours a night, developing some insomnia, um, and then like a bunch of other things like their heart variability drops their heart uh, their blood pressure spiked and he was saying he was in the zone where if that was a prolonged state like if he can just take the things out after 10 days he would have to be rushed to the hospital because he could have like a stroke or something that's how unhealthy it was to constantly mouth breathe um so yeah so a lot of science behind all this stuff and i definitely recommend that book i definitely recommend practicing a lot of these different breaths to see for yourself experiment with your own self and like aiden said some of these can be dangerous if you're around water or yeah. if you're driving or if you are walking if you're doing a lot of th like hyperventilating type of stuff hold a lot of breath holds if it's those more extreme ones of course lay down sit down be safe but some of them like the box breath where you inhale four seconds or you can expand it if you want hold four seconds exhale four seconds hold four seconds that one is super safe and going back to the parasympathetic nervous system a lot of these are designed to put you in that to induce that state where you're calm so a lot of research has been done now where nasal breathing and these breathing practices can help treat um, things like asthma ADHD and anxiety disorders so a lot of cool stuff yeah if anything common scientists i hope this cast encouraged you to look into breathing it might feel like it comes extremely naturally to you it might feel like something you might not be able to improve at but lo and behold a lot of science a lot of spirituality a lot of research points that we as common scientists can dive in a little deeper can breathe a little bit deeper uh, and allow ourselves to find in life something that might add value.